there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey, Java junkies, welcome to another episode of Time for Coffee. If you're a fan of the show, and even if you're not, I would love to hear from you. Tweet me with some comments at time, the number four, Coffee LLC. I would love to know what professions you want me to focus on in upcoming episodes. I'd also like to know what your favorite caffeinated ambrosia is. I personally am having to cut back a little bit because since launching T4C this August, I am not getting enough sleep. And if I have more than a cup, it makes me a little cranky. And trust me, you do not want a cranky chief Java junkie who's doing these interviews. So grab your mug and take a chug because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And joining me around the virtual coffee table today is the one and only Sri Srinivasan, someone who I've personally admired for some time from afar, and I am so excited about the opportunity to tap into his superpowers and share it out with all of you in the Java Junkie community, because Sri is one of the most knowledgeable people out there today in the digital space. Earlier this year, Shri and his best friend, Andrew Lee, launched a new company called DigiMentors, a new kind of digital consultancy of strategists, trainers, and coaches, and doers. They also offer membership programs for individuals and organizations who want year-round training and coaching to thrive in the digital economy. Prior to starting his own company, Shri worked as chief digital officer of major institutions in multiple industries, including the City of New York, Columbia University, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Before joining the Met, he spent 20 years as a full-time professor at Columbia Journalism School. And there's lots more about Shri that you can read up on in show notes. Shri, welcome to Time for Coffee. Because you're in New York, I have to greet you with what has become my new favorite caffeinated welcome. How you brewing? Oh, my brewing. I love it. (laughs) Uh, I'm so delighted to be here and to hear you on the radio after watching you on TV all these years. And congrats on the podcast and the new community and world that you are building. I'll just say it's a little ironic that I'm on a coffee oriented conversation because I am not a coffee drinker or tea drinker. And my wife says I'm like this without any caffeine. (laughs) And I'd be really dangerous with some caffeine in me. Well, you are still incredibly welcome here. And I should also tell you with regards to your mention of my time in TV, I actually started in radio. So we all have various twists and turns in our careers as our Java junkies will. Let's get into what you're doing right now and less about the CEO functions, the founder responsibilities of now heading up DigiMentors and more about the client-facing work that you're doing. Can you give Java Junkies a sense of how you're helping some of the many different clients in the various industries that you're working with? Sure. Basically, what I've kind of taken into the world is this idea that there are people, brands, companies, organizations, nonprofits who are great at their work and really good in real life, but their digital footprint doesn't match their physical footprint. 
And in today's world, unless those two footprints match, you're not going to be successful. So I have a range of people and brands and companies I work with from really big organizations like the UN Refugee Agency at Refugees, which does incredible work helping refugees who are, as you know, having a moment right now. And I just came back from Kenya, where I went to a refugee camp on the South Sudanese border and kind of one of the poorest places on earth, but 185,000 people from 19 countries living there for a really long period. If you follow the news, you will think that all the refugees in the world are arriving in North America or in Europe, but most of them are in these poor countries in poor places. And seeing that firsthand and working with the refugee agency was incredibly moving and important for my understanding of the work we're doing. So that's one example. Another big institution is called the Global Teacher Prize. We give $1 million to a single K-12 through teacher somewhere in the world. And as you know, everybody talks about teachers and how we must do more for teachers, but here's a chance. And they are really elevating teaching in a different kind of way. So a range of big institutions like that, but also smaller players, startups that are trying to break in, break out. And one of my favorite stories is about one of my clients who is the CEO of a company in the Middle East who is so ashamed or embarrassed that he doesn't know LinkedIn properly, that he and I have an agreement where we talk every two weeks on a Saturday. He doesn't put it in his calendar, so his staff doesn't know what he's doing, and uh, he doesn't get his company to pay for it. He paid from his own pocket, and it's like we're having an affair <laughs> as I help him with his LinkedIn. So that's the state of the world today where CEO can feel embarrassed about something that many people take for granted. But it says, says something about the moment we're in. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up LinkedIn because we both know that most Gen Z students are Java junkies. Recent graduates are very proficient on Snapchat and Instagram, but maybe not so much on the way that they're using LinkedIn and even Twitter to help them find a job. What advice do you have for them? My advice is get to know LinkedIn. You have other tools and other platforms that you love, but Make LinkedIn the platform that you not just tolerate, but that you become good at. Think about Snapchat and Instagram as your platforms for showing off your fabulous life. Make LinkedIn the platform where you show off your expertise instead of showing off your life. And it's a great way to make connections. Every day I get business leads and opportunities from being on LinkedIn and I encourage everybody to do so. The reason people don't take it as seriously is because they think of it as a job hunting device alone. And it is, but it's a career management device. And that means feeding it every day, using it every day, nurturing it and building that community so that they can be there when you need it. When you lose your job or you're about to graduate, it's too late to use LinkedIn or figure it out because it has its own language, its own etiquette, its own way of being. And therefore, you are much better off using it when you don't need it. Same way I tell people, if you remember the plane in the Hudson in 2009, uh, I say it's too late to figure out Twitter when the plane lands at the Hudson, because you've got to know how to use it before that happens. And same thing here. Use LinkedIn now when you don't need it. Like today, while you're listening to this podcast, go into your LinkedIn, update it, refresh it, connect with people and 
build out that community so that it's there for you. So you said something about reflecting your expertise. And look, when you're a teenager, when you're in the very early stages of your career, it's hard to say what you're really good at. How do you think young people in school today and maybe in an entry-level position can position themselves as proficient, as dare we say expert in a particular area or areas? It's a great question because it's not obvious, right? You are taught that you know little until you've logged many hours, many days, many years at company. But there are things that young people know that a lot of older people don't. And by curating your expertise, whether it's in music or fashion or movies or comic books or video games or science or art, all of that you can use to kind of show off your, your knowledge. The fascinating thing is that today, as we're talking, the number one story being circulated on LinkedIn of all things, is about the song of the summer. And the song of the summer is a Drake song, In My Feelings. And I know so little about it that I had to ask my 15-year-old twins about that song and what it means and look at all this data coming out of how many songs he's had in the top 10 and learning more about Cardi B, a name I know, but I don't know much about. So the fact that expertise isn't just about the boring stuff is how some people have put it. Expertise can be about really cool and interesting thing. And my twins are, for example, very active on TripAdvisor as a great way to kind of show off their knowledge about the places they've traveled to on there. And they've been doing that since they were 10 years old. So there aren't specific rules about where you can succeed and where you can shine. You have expertise. When I'm looking at my LinkedIn, in addition to the Drake story, there's something about Netflix. Again, a lot of teenagers know a lot about Netflix. And so thinking about where you can comment on, you can go in there. And even if you're 18 years old or 15 years old, you can have an opinion on that and talk about what your experience has been, or you say, you know, Whole Foods is ridiculously expensive, or whatever it is, you have an opinion. And then that can count. People are desperately chasing millennial opinions. Give them away. Show, show them that you have them. And then that shows me a level of engagement with the world. So don't wait for the academic credentials. Start showing your interests and your knowledge before that. So for many Java junkies who are still in school, I know because I have a rough idea how old you are. I can certainly speak to myself. We did not have the option to study digital or social media or any of this new media when we were in school. What do you think Java junkies, in terms of classes they could be taking right now, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's in the virtual classroom out there on the internet that they could be taking to really help them hone their skills? I think the, you, you hit upon the idea that there's so much of learning we always have to be doing. I'm always saying, always be learning, always be learning. And it's become so much easier, cheaper, and simpler to learn than ever before. Everything from LinkedIn learning, which is a part of LinkedIn module on LinkedIn, to these wonderful free open courses from the best professors in the world on Coursera, on edX, on HarvardX, MITx. All of these universities are giving away 
great classes that you can take today. I encourage you to do that. You can take short courses, longer courses. It doesn't have to be the ones with the university. Udacity does a lot of training. So think about a mix of the practical like learning analytics, learning audience engagement, learning how to connect with people, learning marketing, to some more kind of in-depth courses on business or history or political science. All of that will add up to a better, more well-rounded you that you can show to a prospective employer. Shree, when you were in school at St. Stephen's College in Delhi, India, you got your bachelor's in history. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Well, it would be fair to say that I had an unfair advantage over some people because I told my parents when I was 12 I was going to be a journalist. And they started crying immediately being Indian parents. <laughs> and uh, they, this is not what they had envisioned their son would be doing, you know doctor, engineer, lawyer, whatever. And so I knew this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. When I was in high school in Fiji, I got an internship unpaid at a publication called the Fiji Sun. Its motto was the first newspaper published in the world today. (laughs) Not the oldest, but the first because it's near the dateline. And I knew this is what I wanted the rest of my life. I would have actually, if I could have not gone to college, I would have done that. I was so obsessed with being a journalist. I went to college all the way in India to get as far away as I could from my parents so I could try this journalism thing. And I loved it and it changed my life. But I learned many things along the way, including, by the way, the current conversation about unpaid internships. The only reason I could do the unpaid internship and afford to do it is because my parents had the means. They were Indian diplomats and they were able to do it. So that's why I think it's really important that today's internships pay money so that you give everyone an opportunity. So this is something that, you know, I'm 48, didn't come up in my childhood. The whole idea was you were lucky to have an internship and be grateful they even gave you free coffee. And now there's a whole movement, as you know, about paid internships and all of that, uh, where if there's no college credit. Yeah, absolutely. I will say for the record for Java junkies who may be listening here at Time for Coffee, because I have no income at this time, I have unpaid interns, but I'm really trying to supplement their academic experience with lots and lots of experiences. One day, I hope to be able to pay them. And hopefully that will be very soon. But for the record. (laughs) And I appreciate that. And and I think that is as good as getting paid if you are giving them a more rounded experience, you're giving them opportunities to meet people, to learn things, all of that counts. So I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. Treat, while you were both in college and in high school, you engaged in a whole lot of extracurriculars. Can you share with Java Junkies what some of them were that you think actually helped you when you got into the working world. I think the things that helped the most were the opportunities to be in real life situations, working with adults or working professionals in different fields, following around a photographer to learn how photography works, following around a reporter to understand that, even things like working on my yearbook as an extracurricular for school. These are all things that you think will not necessarily help you. But I I say this to anyone who has a chance to take a journalism class or communications class PR, work at their college radio station or television station or website, do it, even if that's not the area you want to go into. Because of the way the media 
is so much a part of all of our lives. Whatever industry you go into, the ability to communicate clearly, talk simply, to connect with an audience will last you a lifetime and you'll be able to use those skills. So you don't have to be a journalist or want to be a journalist in order to make use of those opportunities. So encourage you to volunteer, to step up. You might be, if you have a chance to write a newsletter, any of those skills will help you whatever industry you're in, because it turns out every company in the world is now, in effect, a media company has to tell stories about why it's doing what it's doing, how it's doing what it's doing. Otherwise, it won't survive. Yeah. And you'll also have fun along the way, which is really important too. working with your classmates, working with maybe you have adult supervision. So fantastic advice. Shri, in most of the time for coffee interviews, I ask my guests to share a low time for them in their profession. I'm actually going to ask you a very specific question because it really was extraordinary the way that you handled this. You were working at the Met as the first chief digital officer there. You were so public about the fact that you got laid off. I mean, another way of putting it is you got fired from your job and you asked your followers for feedback as to where you should go next. And you got a thousand suggestions. Why did you decide to be so public? Well, thank you uh, for bringing up this because I think there are a lot of people can learn and have learned from that experience. Not a week goes by where someone doesn't drop me a note saying thank you for that episode in your life. And to sum up, as you said, I was doing the job of a lifetime in a career that was already wonderful that I've been blessed in so many ways, working at the Met, bringing digital to the masses and the fans of art. And I loved everything I was doing. I had left Columbia on my own after having loved that episode in my life of 20 years. And uh, I also left uh, behind the tuition benefits that come from being a professor at Columbia for your kids. So I'd left something like a million dollars in tuition benefits for my children behind. But I said, hey, I got 17 Van Goghs. It was a good trade. <laughs> and, and I loved every minute at the Met. We were kicking butt, as they say, in every single measure of what we were trying to do, my and my team. And I was brought in one day and told I'm leaving the Met. And it was such a shock because nothing prepares you for that. And I thought I was being brought in for a specific meeting we were going to do. And instead, this is what happened. And I said, I'd work for free. I love my job. Just I'll do my own fundraising. But of course, there's no such thing in the real world. And I did go on to the internet and ask the internet for help. And in what was the worst moment of my life was also the best moment of my life because I got these 1,400 people around the world, gave me what I call a global digital hug. And it meant so much to me. So many people have said, you've now taught your children the most important quality of all, resilience, that life is not an elevator or an escalator. Life is a roller coaster. And I agree with all of that. I just wish they could have read a book about it or watch a TED Talk. They don't need to have me be the TED Talk in order to learn all that. But they've been great. My wife has been wonderful. And there's also an opportunity for all of us to do a shout out to the loved ones in our lives who support us through thick and thin. And that none of us does anything by ourselves. Everything that we do comes from all of us working together and helping each other out in what we need to do. How did you 
deal with the loss of face. And the reason that I ask you that is that I was laid off from CNN in 2007 after I had worked there for 14 years. And I wasn't as brave as you. I didn't go public. I didn't say. I was basically fired. They chose not to renew my contract. I tried to spin it because I was concerned it would affect my ability to get my next job. And of course, there was a feeling of like, this isn't the way I wanted to leave. So how did you deal with that? It wasn't easy. And as I said, it became the best thing that I ever did going public. But in the moment, I certainly did not want to do that. The last two sets of people I told were my kids who would be worried that there's no Christmas this year and my parents who wouldn't want a 46-year-old unemployed son. They they wouldn't know how to deal with that. So I was very, very reluctant to go public. But I also understood the era we're in, the time we're in, the community I had built, the network I had built. So all of that mattered. I've written a series of tweets and we'll give you the link so that people can read them in the show notes, perhaps. But here, I'll just read these out very quickly because I think they capture how I was feeling and also how these job things happen. It's a job loss can happen anytime to anyone at any level in any organization. Job loss can happen no matter how well you're doing your job. Job loss can happen even if you're doing everything they ask of you, even if you're hitting every goal and it can happen even if you've had nothing but glowing performance reviews, of course, many people lose jobs because they're terrible at their jobs, but that's a different story. But And nothing prepares you for job loss. It can all happen all of a sudden, or you might read the writing on the wall, shock, disbelief, anger, a sense of betrayal, overwhelming sadness are all common reactions. And then on top of all of that, many of us fight ageism. I went to look for a job at one of the most progressive, iconic, liberal organizations slash leaders in America and felt ageism directly in my face. And nothing prepared me for that. Here I was thinking I'm Mr. Cutting Edge Digital Guy, and they couldn't figure out what a 46-year-old would know about digital. So all of this is not to wallow in my problems, but to say this happens to everybody. Well, thank you for your courage and your generosity to bring all of us into your personal struggle and your journey, because it is a journey. Shri, my final time for coffee question is if you could go back, whether to St. Stephen's or another college, and do it all over again, based on the wisdom that you have today, what advice would you give yourself? Oh boy, I would say be really good at building out your network with your friends in college and grad school. We take everything for granted that we'll see these people again and again, and you may not. Uh, There are people I went to grad school with that I didn't see again until 25 years later at the reunion. And they were some of the most interesting, smartest, best people in the class. And I didn't make the effort that I could have, should have, will have if I go back, if I could go back. But of course, that's not life. So I would say build those networks, nurture those networks, and absorb everything you can. Go to lectures and go to things that may not be cool because you'll learn from that. And then I'll I'll also, something I learned at work, my favorite young cousin's wedding was in India and in March of 2016. And I desperately wanted to go take my daughter. And there was some meeting at the Met on a Tuesday that I would have had to come back to and I would miss if I went on this wedding. And you know, I can't, can't even remember what that meeting was. And there was kind of sacrificing for a company. And 
loyalty in organizations only goes in one direction from the employee to the employer. Nobody gives you brownie points. Nobody gives you anything beyond what they have to give you. So go out there, live your life. Don't be beholden to your employer beyond a point. Of course, you have to follow the rules. And one of the things I say is also show up early for meetings. But there are key moments in our lives, you know, funerals, weddings, things like that, that birthdays, landmark birthdays, you definitely don't want to miss because when you're looking back, no one will give you points for some meeting that didn't matter in the long run. Oh my goodness. Such great advice. And as a former journalist, how many family events and friends <laughs> events did we miss because of our jobs? Sri Srinivasan, I cannot thank you enough for making time for coffee today with me and with the Java Junkie community. You are such a star. And thank you for letting the light that you project uh, fall on some of us. Well, thank you. That's so kind. And uh, I wish you the very best on your new journey. And I know that you will be helping lots and lots of folks. And this is a new golden age of radio again. So you're coming full circle, as you said. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much. 